Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello, everybody. I am Lucia Matuonto, and welcome to the Relatable Voice podcast, a talk show where my guests and I talk about relatable everyday situations, books, and the environment we live in. Remember to subscribe and follow the podcast on social media so you can be notified when a new episode is available. Let's begin. Welcome back to the RV. We are stopping in Virginia Beach to speak to James Hill. He's a science fiction, fantasy, and crime author of the Killer series as well as the founder of the publishing company, Rock Hill Publishing. Super welcome, James, to the Relatable Voice podcast. Thank you, Lucia. Nice to be here. Glad to talk to you. Me too. I see you immersed yourself into the Marvel comic universe, correct? Oh, yes, correct. That's where I got my start, actually, mm -hmm. as a writer. That was my inspiration let's say mm -hmm. yeah so who is your favorite marvel character okay when i was a kid younger i started off uh we would read we would get the weekly comic right 10 cents show you how old i am and we would read the comics and then we would draw out the pictures and i would start writing the next comic in the series trying to figure out where the story was going And my character was Daredevil. So I love Daredevil. Coming up in the South Bronx, we used to jump the roofs and things like that. So I love Daredevil and the idea that this guy was swinging around and being blind was one thing that was really surprising. Well, I had a car accident when I was a kid. I was hit by a taxi cab in New York. <laughs> and for a brief time, and I, I mean like maybe an hour or two, I was blind. I had a concussion. I find out later it's called a concussion. You know, I got hit, knocked down. And I remember that, that I could not see. And I was in the ambulance and everything and I couldn't see and all the kind of stuff. And so I really, really gravitated towards Daredevil. <laughs> yeah. Now I think I like to be a god. So I want to be Thor. <laughs> oh, Thor, I really like Thor, but Thor is not my favorite. Oh, my inner Viking, you know, my inner Viking is Thor. So, you know, who's your favorite? Spider-Man. Oh, oh, okay. Yeah, he's so kind and shy. <laughs> yeah, and also intelligent. He's very smart scientist, you know. And he had that moral compass that some of us lack. <laughs> exactly. So James, you started out as a software engineer and then pivoted into the writing world. 
So are you working as an author now full time? Uh, no, I'm still writing software. I'm still doing um, DBA work, which is database administrator. So I'm still in the IT world. Uh, but that gave me my background to actually doing publishing. Because when I was writing back when I was younger and I was writing everything, I wanted to get into it. And desktop publishing became a big deal or started off, you know, started becoming a big thing. But it was still quite hard and very, they didn't have a lot of programs for it. There wasn't really a lot of places to sell your work and things like that. So now, jump ahead a couple of decades, <laughs> and now we have like Amazon and we have, you know, the internet, the internet to sell yourself. And we have different programs that makes it easier to publish a book. So with my IT background, and I always loved, I, I started programming back in high school. And uh, I always loved the idea of writing software. Like writing software is almost the same as writing books for me. But you imagine what you want it to do. And then it's a matter of stringing together the words and the phrases and the sentences that makes the computer do what you want it to do. So it's sort of the same as writing your fictions and your, you have an idea where you want your story to go and then you go there with it. So ah. it's just another form of language, really. Yeah, and I was curious to know, how did you get into writing? So it always started during the time you were studying IT? Uh, no, actually I started writing back when I was a kid. When I was, like I said, I started writing because I would copy out the comics and we would copy out the pictures and I would try to put stories trying to figure out where Stan Lee was going with the rest of this story. Because, you know, Marvel came up with the stories and each comic would just go on and on and on and the story would build and build and build and build. So you start off with one, one set of characters and it would build on through and then the next character would come in and at first he'd be a bad guy and then he would turn into the good guy and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, so the whole arc of the comic series would last for maybe... 10 weeks, you know, 13 weeks. So you would start off in one series, comic Fantastic Four or Spider-Man or something. And then they would bring in this other guy, the Silver Surfer, or they would bring in Magneto and the and the mutants, or they would bring in and and the story would build out. And so my gravitation to that was I always wanted to see if I can guess where the next story would come in. And I always had these ideas. You read the comic. And then you have an idea, oh, I know what's going to, this will be great. And then you start writing out the comics. So actually, I started writing stories before I started programming. Then when I got into high school, I started programming. And um, from then on, it was just a matter of which one could I do and when. <laughs> That's interesting. So Stan Lee was the cause of your writing yes. process. Yeah. Peace to you, Stanley. <laughs> yeah, and James, you grew up in South Bronx. Hmm? Yes, in the South Bronx in the 60s and early 70s. Yeah. Yeah. It and was a rough neighborhood. 
<laughs> in the very first precinct during the 60s. So can you tell us about that experience and how it shaped you? All right. I grew up, like I said, in the 60s. So there were two major things going on in the 60s. The Vietnam War, in which I know a lot of people who were going into Vietnam and uh, the fight for equality, right? social justice. And so growing up in the South Bronx, the neighborhood was changing and the neighborhood was very violent because it also began the street gangs started getting more powerful. And so when I say you needed a gang to go to the store, I am serious. You did not go anywhere without four or five friends, you know? And we had a thing where you can go to school and go home from school. So you had a little break from the time you had to go to school and the time you had to go home to school. So those were the breaks in the, in the actual game related activities. And after about three o'clock or 3.30, if you was on somebody else's territory, you better be able to fight. Because yeah, you only had that little break in between getting out of school and getting home because you had to go to and from school that the gangs wouldn't fight you. But after that, if you was in somebody else's territory, you better be able to fight and you better have backup. <laughs> wow, difficult times. <laughs> yes. Yes, very difficult. Uh, and I didn't have a real big gang. My gang ran from about five people to maybe seven or eight because you had to be with pretty much the block you lived on and the people that you lived with. Those were your gang members, you know, and different blocks had different gangs. So some blocks had lots of people in them. My block didn't have that many people in it. And so we didn't have a whole lot of gang, gang members. My gang was pretty much interested in girls. So we were chasing the girls in the neighborhood and that got us into a lot of trouble because the girls weren't allowed to leave their block. You know, nobody in their right mind would let their daughters leave outside of their view in the South Bronx at mm -hmm. that time. We, we called it Fort Apache when we was there, but we said every day, every night was like cowboys and Indians. It were, yeah, it was like dangerous, but at the same time, I think it was adventurous, no? Very adventurous. And it led to a lot of my crime stories. <laughs> and, and a lot of my sci-fi, a lot of my darker material comes from growing up in an age and an area where you had to fight. And the idea of going, right up until I was in high school, I had the idea that I was going to wind up in Vietnam. The Vietnam War ended when I turned 17, around 17, 18. And so luck, I lucked out in that I did not have to go and I did not have to be drafted. But so many people I knew were either drafted or enlisted into, into the military because of the Vietnam War. So we grew up with the idea that our time on earth was short. Yeah, yeah I can imagine. <laughs> I can imagine how hard it would be to, to live in this situation. Like maybe I have to go to war maybe what can i do and or i'm going to get killed around the corner so you know if you don't if you, if you don't live long enough to make it to vietnam it was funny because a lot of people who came out of the south Bronx when they came back from vietnam it was like you know i was safer in vietnam than i am here <laughs> at least in vietnam i knew who was shooting at me <laughs> 
Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and James, you've mentioned words like gladiator, warrior, flower child. Can you explain to us what that means to you? Yeah, like I said, growing up in a time of constant battles and constant upheaval gives you that gladiator mentality that 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 life is a war zone. You know, you grow up in a war zone, you learn to be ready to fight all the time. And that's that type of mentality. But then I also grew up in the 60s when people would talk about love and peace and happiness and all that kind of stuff, rock and roll, you know, rock and roll have been big with, have been big to me in my life. So, you know, because you yearn for that, you yearn for the, for the peace and the love and the and the idea of flower child. So I was a gladiator. I went around with armbands, steel armbands and things like that. But I was also a flower child because I was ready to embrace anybody as my brother and anybody that, like I said, our gang was after women. So we were, we was out to find love any way we could. And so you, you have that duality of nature that Yes, you must fight to survive, but you also want to find people who are of like mind and that will bring peace to your life. And that's always a constant uh, search. Two different poles, yeah? It's like yeah. one is fighting, the other one wants love. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. You've written a killer series, which includes Killer with a Heart, Killer with Three Heads, and the newest one, Killer with Black Blood. James, can you tell us what this series is about? All right. The Killer series is about the mafia and the gangs. After I moved out of the South Bronx, I moved back to where my mother grew up in a little bit further up in the Bronx. And we moved into mob territory, basically. <laughs> and so I came out of hanging with gangs and running with my gang and stuff like that to hanging out with mobsters and junior mobsters. <laughs> and, and so it was another type of world. And if you want the thing you have to understand about New York is that you grow up and you live with the people you live with. As we say, you hang out with the people on your corner, whoever they may be. <laughs> so whoever you happen to live around, that's who's going to be who you live with. So when I moved up to the North Bronx, 
like them. Fell in with the mob. And I had mob friends and, you know, it was a business and it was a different way of life. And so that influenced my story and my idea. And I had this whole idea of this guy who grows up and from the gangs to the mob to become this criminal. And in Killer with a Heart, it starts off with a chapter called 100 Friends, in which the saying is, you have 100 friends who can get you into prison, but you don't have one who has a plan to get you out. <laughs> That's, <laughs> That's from growing up in New York. And you hear all the crazy plans that your friend has to say, hey, let's do this. And all we need is for you to take down the guard. <laughs> and it's like, yeah, so I'm the one that gets identified why you guys, you know, get off scot-free, that kind of thing. So, so you have many stories to tell. I believe you are going to be writing more, like maybe four, five, six books for this Well, year. I got four books in, in the works. So I got a fourth book coming out, which you call Killer With Ice Eyes. So that's the fourth book coming out. After that, I might retire the killer series. I don't know. People are telling me, don't retire it. You know, you can go to other places. I say, yeah, I left myself some back doors in case I want to write another killer book. Mm -hmm. uh, but, you know, we'll see. We'll see. There's other stories, too, that's all outside the killer series uh, of the mob and stuff. Like I said, I grew up. I knew people in the mob. I, I had a very good friend who I worked with who was in the mob. We used to call him the Godfather. And... I'll tell you this, we had, you, you, you've seen The Godfather, the movie, right? Mm-hmm. And you've seen the, the opening sequences and stuff where the guy, he's being taken for the ride and they drive him out somewhere and the guy shoots him in the back of the head, right? His friend is taking him out and they go to buy cannolis. Yeah. So he shoots him in the back of the head and then, he, and then the other guy, the mobster, the other mobster tells him, hey, leave the gun, take the cannolis. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So my cannoli story is I'm driving and I, by the way, I dedicated book number three, uh, Kill with Black Blood to my friend, PC. So I uh, would I used to drive his car. Now, he was uh, pretty big in the mob and um, he was driving around in Paul Castellano's car after Paul got killed. At the big Paul, he got killed. He inherited the car. And he was very proud of the Cadillac and everything. So he would drive down, pick me up, and we would drive into work. Or I would drive up to Yonkers, leave my car there, get in his car, and we would drive down to work. So one night, and I worked in the bank at this time. So that's where I met him. He, he was friends with my mom who worked in the bank. And because I knew the programming for the bank sort system, I took over her position or worked in her department with Pat. So me and Pat are working together. I'm driving up and down with the Godfather. And one night he tells me, we, we work in check processing at night. It was like until like three o'clock in the morning, processing checks. And he tells me one night, hey, you want to get some cannolis? And I'm like, uh, Pat, it's three o'clock in the morning. There's no place open. Bakeries don't really start working until like four o'clock in the morning. They don't open up before four. And he goes, hey, you're riding with the Godfather. They're always open for me. I'm like, all right. So we drive up into Little Italy. He pulls into the back in some little alley. Toot, toot, toot the horn. 
out comes this little Italian guy, old. <laughs> he comes shuffling out to the car. I sit in there. He rolled the window down like that much, you know, and uh, just a couple inches. And um, he tells the guy, bring me out my bring me out my package and bring him a box of cannolis. And the guy looks across at me. I'm sitting there. I'm wearing dark glasses. Okay, I'm wearing sunglasses all the time at this point. <laughs> night, day, I'm always night. wearing sunglasses. Yeah, at night. So I'm sitting there looking hard. You know, I got my face on, my gangster face, looking hard. You know, don't look at the guy. And he looks across at me and goes, who's he? Pat grabs him by the throat, smacks his head against the car, says, never mind who's he. You bring him my package and bring him a bag of cannolis. So he lets him go. The guy shoveled back into the back of the bakery. He comes out with two brown paper bags. He goes up to Pat. As he goes up to Pat, Pat rolls up his window. So he runs around the car, comes to my side. I roll down the window. I don't look at I'm looking straight ahead, you know, power window. Power down the window. And I'm just sitting there. The guy holding the bag. Finally, he reaches in, puts the two bags in my lap. I roll up the window. Never say a word. Never say anything. Just roll back up the window. We drive off. So, and, yeah. You was the godfather. Yes, I'm with the godfather. So, you know, no need for me to talk. <laughs> and so we get on the highway. And I tell Pat, you know, I'm looking in the mirrors. I'm looking in the rear view mirror. Looking for police cars, naturally. <laughs> Mm -hmm. I, I don't see anything and we're going up the FDR and I'm thinking, all right, well, there's nobody found us, but what about a Jurassic Bridge waiting for us? So I get to, so as we're going up the FDR, I tell Pat, okay, Pat, what's in the bag? He said, cannolis, hand me one. So I hand him a cannoli. I said, okay, what's in the other bag? He said, don't, don't you worry about the other bag. And I'm like, well, I just have to know if the police stop us, do I grab this bag and jump in the East River? Because I'm not that good a swimmer. <laughs> and he goes, no, no, no. You sit here with us. Because we have fantastic lawyers. Oh. I'm like, you're yeah, okay, fine. And then I start eating the cannoli. And we get up town and everything. And my mom is yelling at me because, you know, it's well after the time we should have been home. And she goes, where have you been? I said, hey, we had to make a stop. I said, hey, we had to make a stop. And she goes, what? You took him on a on some kind of deal with you? And I'm like, Ma, Ma, what are you worried about? I've been in worse situations than that, believe me. <laughs> oh, very good. You're a very good storyteller. Ah, thank you. <laughs> to be a good writer, you have to be a good storyteller. Yeah, <laughs> I agree. I want to ask out of curiosity for you, in your opinion, what makes a good protagonist a good protagonist is somebody who is well-rounded they have to have characteristics of a real person you know a lot of time you read these stories or you read stuff and they're either this good 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 guy that never done anything wrong you know gonna throw himself on the sword at a moment's notice with no real reason for doing it <laughs> you know that kind of thing and those are not real people no people want to read real people they want to they, they want somebody they can relate to mm -hmm. so 
if you have a protagonist, you want them to have some faults. Yes. You want them to have some some good quality. You want them to stick to them quality. People don't really change who they are. If you're a good guy, you're usually a good guy your entire life. If you're a bad guy, you usually have bad traits your entire life. No one really becomes a bad guy. There's certain things in your life that may push you one way or the other. But as they say, you can't cheat an honest man, you know, and never trust a man who won't take a bribe. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's true. And James, you also started your own publishing company. Oh, yes, yes. Very proud of that. Congratulations. And it's called Rock Hill Publishing. What is your company's mission? My company mission is to find and help new writers, based primarily new writers, get into the literary world. Because when, and this is how I really started the company. After I published a couple of my books and a couple of my editor's books, people used to always ask me, wow, how did you write a book? And how did you get published? And how did that happen? And what did you do? And because I had a background in computer sciences and in desktop publishing and things like that, you know, it wasn't really hard to actually put together a book and publish it. Not that difficult. But for people who don't know these types of things and don't know how to go about them or don't know how to find people to do these things, it's it's an uphill battle all the way. And it's really hard. And so I said, you know what? I'm going to help people find that way, find their way through this maze. And I think there's a lot, a lot of talented, good authors out there. And there's also a lot of bad authors. But somehow, somehow the bad authors seem to find their way out there. It's the good ones that that you find so hard to, to, to actually get their work out. And so I decided that I would not only publish myself and my editor and stuff like that, I would also open my company up to find other people and help them along their journey to be published, become authors. Mm-hmm. And see, I have a very good editor. She's from South Africa. She's in South Africa. She was here for the last year or so because of COVID. Well, she comes back and forth to do certain things and to work with me and to, you know, to go to different book shows and things like that. So we, so she came here to do a, a, a cruise where we went on a, a publishing IC cruise. And we came off that cruise ship in February and COVID hit because when we got on the cruise ship, they were taking our temperature and asking us questions and we didn't think anything about it. Then when we get off the cruise ship, <laughs> you know, it's like, oh, COVID is spreading. And now she's stuck. She's stuck here because everything closed down. You know, within about a month or two of COVID breaking out here in the United States, everything closed down. And so she was stuck here. She just went home a couple of weeks ago, uh, beginning of July. Wow. Spent and, a lot uh, of time there. Yeah. Where can our listeners find your books, find you, and of course, your company, Rock Hill Publishing? Well, you can go to rockhillpublishing.com and they can find my books and all my other authors there. So if they go there first, they will definitely find us. And if they don't, and if they want to go to someplace else, 
we are always on Amazon. Let's face it, if you're a book, you better be on Amazon. <laughs> so we go to Amazon, they can find me there. And they can find me at just about any other place where books are sold. Um, I'm worldwide. I see stuff in China, I see stuff in India, you know, Portugal. That's nice, your books are everywhere. James, was very, very nice to talk with you today. Oh, I loved it. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe so you'll be notified when the next one is posted. Please rate this podcast and share it with your friends. Thank you for listening and remember, relationships don't exist. Relating does. Until next time. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.